Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Well, it started over 200 years ago, almost 200 years ago. You can trace it back. If you'd like to do research, you ought to go check this out. But uh, you can trace it back to the year of 1835. That's how far it goes back. It started, its origin started at West Point and has lasted almost 200 years. In fact, some of you participated in the tradition that I'm talking about. If you're like me, when it came time to participate in this tradition, you got all excited and you laid the money down and made it happen and you waited at your mailbox anxiously with anticipation waiting for the day when that little box would come in. Well, some of you were that way. Some of you decided that you just weren't into it that much, and you decided to just not worry about it, and it wasn't that big a deal to you. But even to this day, in this room right now, probably if we took the time, I could go around, and some of you are still, even now, even though it was uh, perhaps 20 years ago or 30 years ago or even longer than that, you're still wearing it proudly as a proclamation, a pronouncement, if you will, an announcement of your success and your achievement. But for some of you, uh, you took part for just a little while, and then you took that item and you put it in a drawer somewhere, and it's long been forgotten. Some of you perhaps even used this item, this tradition, to signify commitment or exclusiveness and when this thing was returned to you it came back to you with perhaps a great deal of pain and perhaps a steady stream of tears but for all of its ability to signify accomplishment and for all the pain that it may have caused when it was returned to you none of us would probably go to the extent where we would say that this item contains in it the power of life and death. In fact, most of us would probably agree that when we think about this particular item, that it really never crossed our mind that it could even be a incredible, an incredible representation or demonstration of Easter. The problem with Easter is, is, is that most of you, if not all of you, probably all of you, or you wouldn't be here today, have heard the story of Easter. You are familiar with the account of Easter and what took place today. You know the account. God, sitting in his throne, saw the need of mankind, and because of his love for us, sent his son Jesus to become one of us. He became man, just like us, so that he could feel what we feel and experience what we experience. But he didn't. He wasn't just man. He was not only man. He was also God. And he lays his life down as the ultimate perfect great sacrifice, taking our judgment, taking our pain, taking our sin, and placing himself. They didn't kill him. He laid his life down. He placed himself on the cross for us. And, and you know, the Easter story doesn't end there. It goes on. And on the third day, when they thought he was long gone and that their problem was over and thought the enemy had won and all hope was gone, on the third day, the stone rolled away. On the third day, angels stood above the, throne, the, the tomb and said, why? 
now you're looking for the living among the dead. On the third day, the, 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 the shroud was laid aside. On the third day, Jesus walks out. And because of the power of the resurrection, we now have life. That's the story of Easter. The only problem with that is that most of us have heard that story all of our life to the place that now we take it for granted. And now we've become numb to this account. So I wonder, maybe today, since you've heard it so many times and since you know it so well that you fail to even comprehend the implications of what took place on place on Easter, maybe today, maybe I should tell you the story a little differently. retelling of the day that he found his best friend in a World War II Japanese concentration camp. The two were high school buddies. They grew up together in Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania. They played ball together. They skipped school together. They even double dated. Arthur and Skinner were inseparable. It made sense then that when one joined the army, the other would as well. They rode the same troop ship to the Philippines. That's where they were finally separated. Skinner was on a rescue mission when Bataan fell to the Japanese in 1942. Arthur was captured just a little over a month later. Through the prison grapevine, Arthur learned the whereabouts of his friend. Skinner was near death in a nearby camp. So Arthur volunteered for a work detail in hoping that his company might pass through the other camp one day they did. Arthur requested and was granted five minutes to find and speak to his friend. He knew that he had to go to the sick side of camp. It was divided into two sections, one for those who were expected to recover, the others who were given no hope. Those expected to die lived in a barracks called Zero Ward. That's where Arthur found Skinner. He called his name. And out of the barracks walked the 79-pound shadow of the friend that he had once known. This is what he wrote. He said, I stood at the wire fence of the Japanese prisoner of war camp and watched my childhood buddy caked in filth and racked with the pain of multiple diseases totter towards me. He was dead. Only his boisterous spirit hadn't left his body. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. His blue eyes, watery and dulled, locked on me and wouldn't let go. Malaria, dysentery, pellagra, scurvy, beriberi. Skinner's body was a dormitory of tropical diseases. He couldn't eat. He couldn't drink. He was nearly gone. Arthur didn't know what to say or to do. His five minutes were nearly up. He began to finger the heavy knot of the handkerchief tied around his neck. In it was his high school 
class ring. At the risk of punishment, he had smuggled the ring into the camp, knowing that the, there was a likelihood that he would catch a disease and that treatment was scarce. He'd been saving it to barter for medicine or food for himself. But one look at Skinner and he knew he couldn't save it any longer. As he told his friend goodbye, he slipped the ring through the fence into Skinner's frail hands and told him, Quill and deal with it. Skinner objected, but Arthur insisted. He turned and left, and not knowing if he would ever see his friend alive again. Skinner took the ring and he buried it in the barracks floor. The next day, he took the biggest risk of his life. He approached the kindest of the guards and passed him the ring through the fence. The guard asked, is it valuable? Skinner assured him that it was. The soldier smiled and slipped the ring into his pocket and left. A couple days later, he walked past Skinner and let a packet drop at his feet. Sulfanilamide tablets. A day later, he returned with limes to combat the scurvy. Then came a new pair of pants and some canned beef. Within three weeks, Skinner was on his feet. Within three months, he was taken to the healthy side of the sick camp. In time, he was able to work. As far as Skinner knew, he was the only American ever to leave the Zero Ward alive. A simple class ring elevated his position in camp. The ring secured his restoration. The ring brought provision. The common class ring brought salvation. That is the story of Easter. Author's ring becomes the perfect example, the perfect illustration of what the power of Easter contains for us. However, there's another ring account that I want to draw your attention to that you're also very familiar with. It's found in Luke chapter 15, verse 22, because in this account, a father meets his son and says this, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Author and Skinner's story teaches us the power of Easter, but the story of the prodigal son also parallels that story and teaches us the power of Easter. Because you've got to know the story. You know the story. The story is of a, a rebellious son who runs away from home, who is so rebellious that, that he takes everything that the father's worked so hard for and he leaves. The, the Bible tells us that the prodigal son finds his way home and slinks up the driveway expecting punishment, expecting judgment, which he should have gotten. But instead, the Bible says, that the father embraced the son. Well, that sounds like what every father would do, but you've got to know the rest of the story because you need to go back and recognize that this son had literally wished for his own father to die. Think about it. He goes to his father and he says, look, I want my inheritance. In other words, I want what I can only have if you're dead. This, this son was so selfish and so self-consumed that he came to the place where he looks at his own dad and says, I want what I want so badly that I am willing for you to go ahead and die. In fact, I wish for you to die so I can have the inheritance that is mine. 
he had ruined his father's good name. He goes out, the Bible says he goes out and he lives wildly and he wastes everything that the father had worked so hard to, to put together and to accumulate. He just wasted in riotous living, the Bible says. And he goes out and he soils his own dad's name and he ruins his dad's reputation. And he comes home with his tail between his legs and he says to his father, I've made a mistake. He deserved punishment. He deserved judgment. In fact, in the culture of that day, the very real reality for that little boy was that not only did he deserve a spanking, he deserved to die because of what he had done. And yet his father runs down the driveway and embraces him. This is the boy that is caked and covered in mud. Pig mud. Come on now, you got to understand the context of the story. This story was told in a Jewish context. Th this little boy should have never been anywhere near pigs. It's against their religion. And yet his father runs to him even though he's covered and completely consumed with pig mud. His father runs up to him and throws his arms around him. But he doesn't just do that. He goes one step farther and the Bible says that he calls and says, Go get the ring, the signet ring. It was the symbol of authority. It was the symbol of position and relationship. Go and get the ring. And the Bible says that he places the ring on his mud-caked finger and elevates him back to the role of the son. It's as if the father has taken the family credit card and put it back into his wallet. Restored and renewed. It's the fellowship of the rings. Think about it just a moment. In this story that I told you about Arthur and Skinner, we discover that Arthur seeks out his friend, and as he extends this ring that he's been saving for his own, he goes out of his way. He looks for him on the sick side of the camp. He goes out of his way and extends that ring to his friend, and it produces life. In the prodigal son story, a boy that should have been dead has now been given the ring of fellowship again and elevated back into relationship. Even though he's covered in mud, his father extends grace to him. Th those two stories are our stories. The Bible says it like this. Jesus came and went to the sick side of camp. He came and discovered that we were living in zero world. We had no hope. We had no future. We had no way of ever approaching the Father again. He came to the sick side of camp. He found us sick and diseased with, with lust and prejudice and anger and hate and addictions and hopelessness and despair and depression and disillusionment. He came and he found us in our sick condition. He went out of his way. He didn't look on the healthy side of camp. The Bible says it like this, that why? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still covered by the, 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 the 
nastiness of our own conditions without any righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We're nobodies. We're nothing. And Jesus didn't stay on the perfect side of camp. He could have gone to the perfect people. He could have gone to the spotless people. He could have gone to the great people. But he came to us and he said with all of our problems and with all of our issues and with all of our sickness and with all of our despair, I'll find you. And so he goes looking amongst all the dead folks to rescue us. And he extends to us the ring of fellowship. If you go back and you think about the story a minute, Skinner even tried to refuse the ring. I don't know if in his own mind he felt like he was already dead and past saving. I don't know if in his own mind he recognized the cost and the price of this great gift. I don't know if in his own mind he thought, I don't deserve this. But he tries to refuse Arthur's gift and says, no, you've got to keep this for yourself. But Arthur insisted. I wonder how many of you this morning would recognize that Jesus at this very moment is extending you an opportunity for fellowship, for relationship. And many of you have said, no, it costs too much. No, I don't deserve it. No, I'm not worthy. No, I can't handle this. But Jesus is still extending the ring and says, this is the greatest gift I could ever extend to you. I came to tell somebody this morning that if you continue to resist and you fail to grab hold of the ring that Christ is trying to give you, the ring of fellowship, it is the ring of eternal love. It is the ring of eternal life. It is the greatest gift that the Father could ever give to you. If you fail to grasp that ring, you are doomed to destruction. You are doomed to hopelessness. But the great news about Easter is that the ring is extended and he's trying to give you life and life more abundantly. But I also recognize in the story that the prodigal son learned this. Skinner certainly learned it. Skinner took that ring and he leveraged it for provision. That is the story and the account of the prodigal son as well. When the father restores him to relationship, he now does no, he no longer has to duck his head in shame or in fear, and he no longer has to slink around and wonder, am I still going to receive judgment? At the moment that the ring slides onto his finger, at that moment he leverages it for position, he leverages it for authority, he leverages it for relationship. I wonder how many of you this morning would be sitting here right now listening to me who have encountered Christ and perhaps even given your heart and life to him and come into relationship with him but you have failed to leverage the relationship that Christ has established for you and you have failed to leverage the 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 provision that you now have and you may be saved but you're still living bound and you may be saved but you still find yourself confined to prison camp but I came to tell you that at the moment that Christ raised from the dead that that ring was extended so that you could grab onto it and leverage it for life and life more abundantly the Bible says it like this whom the son sets free is free indeed therefore we recognize that when we grab hold of that ring of fellowship not only are we saved we have been set free I wonder how many of you are living far beneath the level of authority and far beneath the level of provision and far beneath the level of relationship that Christ has died and rose again to gain for you he is offering to you the fellowship 
of the ring. In fact, I would say it like this to you this morning. Jesus has come to the fence of your life. I don't know what the fence of your life is. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's just a disbelief that I could be worth anything. Maybe it's just sin. I don't know what your fence is. All I know is that Jesus is approaching the fence of your life, and he's extending to you a ring. That ring is eternal life. That ring is freedom. That ring is love. That ring is hope. Without this, without Easter, you have no hope, but he can came and he died and he gave his life to you so that he could give you the ring and elevate your position in camp once again. That's the story of Easter. The story of Easter is that sons have the opportunity to live again. Let, let, me, let me boil Easter down to bare bones essentials for you. Here's the Easter in, in summation, very simply. Easter is about the possibility that a son, not just the son, but sons that are dead have the opportunity to come to life again. I don't know what's dead in your life. I don't know what area of your life feels like that you're on your last breath. I don't know what hope has been dashed and what dream has been crushed, but this is what I know. If the same spirit that rose, raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then you have the privilege and the position necessary to walk in freedom. That is the account of Easter. The account of Easter is this. Jesus can come and nurse you back to life. He can bring you to this place where you will come back to life and for the rest of your natural life and the rest of your supernatural life, you will be in fellowship and in relationship with the Father of the universe because of what the Son accomplished. My question to you this morning is, have you experienced the fellowship of the ring? Have you reached through and taken what is so freely offered? Or like Skinner, have you refused it? Have you failed to leverage what Jesus did for you? I came to tell somebody this morning that there is still power. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. I came to tell somebody this morning that even in the midst of your death, there is still power. And he can resurrect everything that you thought the enemy had stolen. He can resurrect all those things and bring them back to life. Would you stand with me this morning?
bowed, every eye closed. You may be here this morning and say, Steve, I don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve grace. I'm filthy. I am consumed and caked with the sin and sickness of life. But I came to tell you this morning that Jesus is looking for you on the sick side of camp. He designed this whole day with you in mind to bring you to a place where you would recognize that he is providing you an opportunity to find fellowship again with the Father. If you're here and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, we want to pray with you. We won't embarrass you, but we want to pray with you. And we want to be responsible to extend to you the ring of fellowship. If you're here and you'd say, that's me, I need to know Jesus. I don't know him. And I'm dying. My life feels like zero world. I'm dying. If that's you, would you just quickly slip your hand up and pull it back down so that we might pray with you and ask Jesus to produce fellowship in your life? Is there one? If we won't wait long, is there one that needs to surrender every aspect of their life to him? Maybe you're hearing you say, Steve, my deal is this. I know Jesus as my Savior, but I have failed to leverage that relationship and live at the level that he's called me to live. I, I find myself bound. I find myself defeated. I, self, I find myself continually faltering and falling to the same things over and over again. And I recognize this morning that I have not leveraged my relationship with Christ to live at the level that he's ordained me to live. And I just need somebody to pray with me, to believe with me, that I can live victorious and free and triumphant. If that's you, would you just slip up a hand and pull it back down? Yeah, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You know, the truth is, is this could probably be all of our prayer. Come on, would you take your neighbor's hand right now? And let's pray for one another. Father, this morning, I pray in particular for those that raised their hand because they were brave enough to say they had a need. But Father, I actually pray for all of us because all of us can honestly and truthfully say that we have not really leveraged our relationship with Jesus to the degree that we should. Some of us, Father, struggle. We, we continue to falter and fall to the same temptations over and over again. There are some under the sound of my voices, I'm praying, Father, that continue to struggle with the same sin over and over again. There are those under the sound of my voice, Father, this morning that are discouraged. Their life is surrounded and caked with fear. Despair has become the rule of the day. But this morning, Father, we, we acknowledge the fact that it's Easter. And Easter speaks to us that sons can live again. So, Father, I pray for the person on my right and my left, and for, in particular, those that raise their hand, that, God, you would encourage them right now and that they would begin to find a relationship with you at a different level than they've ever experienced in their life. And you would begin to elevate them to power. And you would begin to elevate them to authority. And you would begin to elevate them in provision. You would begin to elevate them in their life to the place that they live where you've called them to live. They would live as sons and daughters of the King. 
they would live in fellowship and relationship. Father, finally, my prayer this morning is this. I pray that we would take on the attitude of author in this story. God, I pray that throughout the course of this week and the course of this month and the rest of our life, in fact, God, I pray that we would begin to go to the sixth side of camp and we would find people around us that are dying and going to hell, dying in their misery, dying in their shame, dying in their pain, dying in their fear. God, I pray that we would go out of our way and at risk to ourselves, we would take what cost us and we would offer it freely and bring life to people that otherwise have no hope. I pray that you would allow us to become people that would extend the ring of fellowship to people that don't look like us, don't smell like us, don't act like us, don't live like us. And I pray that that attitude of grace and love would permeate this body and it would impact this community as we extend fellowship in the name of Jesus. This is how I want us to end today. I want you to look at your neighbor, that person that you were praying for, and I just want you to look them square in the eye and say, welcome to the fellowship of the ring, and then you're free to go. been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.